Sundar Singh. He was the name of a, a man uh, from a Sikh family in a village in northern India. And aged, you know, in 1903, aged just 14, his mum died, as a result of which he blamed God, the Christian God. He formed a gang among his friends and started harassing believers. He even burnt a Bible to show his contempt towards Jesus. But on one particular occasion, he had concluded that neither Christianity nor Hinduism nor Sikhism offered truth. And so he made a vow one night. He vowed that in the morning he would throw himself under a train, commit suicide. But before he went to bed, he prayed to the true God. Whoever you are, wherever you are, please speak to me. That night he had a dream in which Jesus appeared to him, unlocked his soul. He woke up flooded with joy, eyes brimming with joy. He ran to tell his father about his dream and about his decision to be a Christian. His father disowned him and tried to poison him. He was forced to flee his home. Many years later, he's in a, an Indian town named Rasar and he's preaching the gospel for which he gets arrested. The people get together and they sentence him to death by, um, well, they throw him into a pit and they cover the pit with a heavy stone. At the bottom of this pit is just bones and, fle and rotting flesh from previous victims. And in that pit, he's left to die in the darkness. Several days go by and then he's miraculously rescued. Upon being rescued, he wrote of that moment, he said, down in the pit, a wonderful peace filled my heart, so lovely that I cannot describe it. How was it possible to have the peace of God in the pitch dark night, in the midst of corpses and dead men's bones? Joy like this, peace like this, comes from nothing in this world. God alone can give it. We are this term talking about the signs of God's kingdom coming on the earth. The signs of healing, of deliverance, of justice, of righteousness, of peace. And last week and this week, the sign of joy. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, wrote to the church in Rome. And in trying to clear up some disputes about what food you're allowed to eat and what festivals you're allowed to worship and attend and stuff like that, he writes to the church and he says, the kingdom, next slide, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, if you were to ask me what Christianity is really about at its core, it's not about doing this and don't do that and make sure you go here and keep those rules and stop that and behave like this. At its core, the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, joy is different from happiness. Joy is more robust. It endures. When comfort and convenience leave us, joy remains. In the Bible, we read of Christians being able to have joy in the midst of trials. The Apostle Paul describes himself overflowing with joy in the midst of affliction. We read of Christians accepting injustice and the, the theft of their properties with joy. We read that the joy of the Lord is what makes us strong, is our strength. And writing from prison, the Apostle Paul again, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice, rejoice, even in the midst of prison. 
Now, last year, I showed the video of uh, an interview with this man, Mostaba, who's an, uh, an Iranian Christian who I had the privilege of meeting when I was out in Turkey. And we showed his story. Age, tw- age 18, he became a Christian. Age 20, he was arrested for his faith and put into solitary confinement for 30 days for being a Christian. He was then released and, they, and they, on the condition that he stopped being a Christian, stopped doing Christian things. He carried on being a Christian. Age 24, he was arrested again, and this time in prison for three years. Three years. Between the age of 24 and 27, I, made, I met him in around his 28th birthday when he just got out of Iran and moved to Turkey. I asked him, do you ever, when you were in prison, were you angry at God? Did you regret becoming a Christian? Did you feel like you wanted at any point to change your mind and go back to not being a Christian? And he replied with a beaming smile. He just said, no. He said, the pain I had in prison was very, very less compared to the pain I had before I knew God. Joy is an integral part of the Christian life. That kind of joy, the kingdom, that kind of joy that he can experience comes really only as a result of knowing God, of being accepted by God, being forgiven, learning to trust him and know him in our everyday. And our joy matters. It matters to God. A sign that you're in the kingdom of God is that you you know this joy. It's a witness to the world that you have a, a joy and a peace. It matters to God. And of course, it matters to us. I don't need to convince you of that. Everything we do is only ever towards our own happiness. That's what the philosopher Pascal said, and he's right. Even those who are miserable are miserable because they think it's their best chance at happiness is by not expecting much of anything. So today I want to look at a practical application of joy and ask the question, how then, if you're a Christian, how as a Christian do you live with and grow in in with this sense of joy? We're going to look at three things. We need to learn to fight, we need to learn to read, and we need to receive regularly. The first one, for joy's sake, learn to fight. Becoming a Christian is often um, joined with a sense of joy and delight. When I first got saved, I remember just the experience of joy and fireworks almost in my soul that God loves me. I'm forgiven. How wonderful is that? And if that was to be summed up with a sound, it would be like the sound of a party popper. It was the sound of fireworks going off in my soul, thinking, I've been forgiven. Celebration, joy. Over time, however, life gets in the way, things are difficult. And although there's joy, more often than not, the sound turns from a party popper to... It's still happy. We're still at a party. We're still... Love being a Christian, but it's no longer, pff, yeah, but pff, it's just a little bit sad, a little bit pathetic at times. And yet we know what it's like. It's still joy, but it feels different. We need to learn to fight as Christians for our joy. One author put it, she said, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Therefore, every day we need to learn to fight. It was George Muller, who founded some orphanages in the UK in the 19th century, responsible for the welfare of hundreds of previously street kids under his care. And he said, he said, my first duty every day is to get happy in God. Until I do that, I'm of no use to anyone. 
And we fight for things that are important for us. We fight to protect, to preserve, to hold on to. Your joy in God, the joy of being forgiven and loved and accepted, is worth fighting for. You see, the difference between and a party popper, there will be many differences. But at the root, the difference is the type of fuel, isn't it? The difference between air and gunpowder. And we need to learn to fight. We need to learn to fuel our joy well. So how to fuel your joy? Five quick ways. Number one, find out what makes you happy in God and make a habit out of it. That's two, really, isn't it? Find out what makes you happy in God. Next one. Next slide, Luke. Find out what happens in your job and make a habit out of it. Do you know what it is that gets you excited in God? Maybe for you, it's spending time alone with a Bible and a notebook and the mandatory cup of coffee. Maybe for you, it's that. Journaling, reflecting in solitude and silence. Maybe for you, it's walking in creation and praying. Or being with Christian friends and praying with them. Maybe it's serving, being active, feeling like you're part of a mission with people. What is it? Find out what it is and then make a habit out of it. You and I are what we repeatedly do. Habits are one of the strongest things in our lives for determining our destiny. And you are as close to God as you decide to be or as you've chosen to be. Depending on what habits you put into your life, determines a lot of the time how close you feel to God, how happy you feel in your relationship with God. Often we don't think about those habits. We just go through life regularly, but we are what we repeatedly do. Number three, spend time with people who fuel your joy. Spend time with the right people and do it intentionally. If I was to say to you that there are some people who are like drains and some people who are like fountains, you would know what I mean. You know who it is that when you spend time with them, they act as a drain on your joy in God. They're forever questioning your joy in God. They might be believers, but they feel the need to be cynical or skeptical a lot of the time. You know those kinds of people that drain you and wear you down. And equally, I'm sure, I hope, we've all got people in our lives that are like fountains. They cause us to bubble over with joy. They're infectious in their enthusiasm, infectious in their love for God, infectious in their love for life. Who are those people for you? Now, of course, we're not saying avoid the people who are drains and have nothing to do with them. No, we're to love everyone. But for the sake of your joy, you must make a discipline out of pursuing intentionally to spend time with those people who are fountains and fuel your joy. Number four, how to fight for joy. Know yourself. Understand yourself and accept your rhythms and your capacity. We all know freaks, don't we? Freaks who just never seem to tire of anything. Freaks who have a capacity that never seems to be full, who can take on more plate spinning after more plate spinning and never grow tired, manage to hold it all together. Freaks don't make a good role model. They don't make good examples. If I was to try to be like, say, Andrew Wilson, who's one of the leaders here, if I was to be like him in my knowledge of the world and in some of the kind of capacities that he's got, I would always be setting myself up for failure. I have a different capacity, a different gift, a different rhythm. Know yours and accept that. Be okay with that. Are you a lark, an owl, or a hummingbird? 
These are categories that scientists have come up with to determine the rhythms and capacities of your, your day-to-day energies. Larks are at their best in the morning. They're the kind of people who love to tell you that they go up at 5 a.m. and they've just been singing with the dawn chorus today. Um, and they often make the rest of us feel pretty miserable for not being able to get up before midday. And the larks are the ones who say, oh, the morning's the best time of the day. It's glorious. They're the ones, however, that past 10 o'clock at night, you won't see them anywhere. They're in bed. They've headed for the hills a long time ago. Are you a lark? Or maybe you're an owl. And owls are the opposite. They're the ones that you never see them before 10 a.m. Or if you do, you'd never talk to them before 10 a.m. Because you know you'll get on the wrong side of them just, you know, by being alive and being awake. But an owl comes to life around 10 o'clock. And they're the ones that often at midnight are still up doing things. Or 1 a.m., 2 a.m., let's do this, let's go there. I have friends who are owls and I avoid them at night. Because at night I'm a wind and I'm I'm a lark. Or are you a hummingbird? Hummingbirds are the rare breed of animal that is at its best all the time, morning and night. I know. Which one are you? Plan your life, plan your day accordingly. Based on that, consider some of the rhythms in your life, your daily rhythms, your weekly rhythms, monthly, I don't know, whatever it is, annual rhythms, plan things. I know, for example, that every few months I need a few days off. Like a holiday, I think they call it. I need a few a holiday every few months. Not because I'm always tired, but because I know I need this rhythm in place. And if I don't have it, within a month or two, I'll have a crash. I just have learned my rhythm. We have a, a friend who I know that whenever Amy spends time with her, she comes back giggly and happy. As though living with me is miserable. Um, she needs a release every so often to spend time with this person who just fuels her joy in God. And so a while ago, we sat down and said, we need to make this a rhythm. Every few months, I order you to spend time with this person because you need it. Do you know your weekly rhythms, the things that you need to put in to keep your joy going? I know some of us, because of uh, the stage of life that we're at, because of work commitments and for other reasons, we're not able to gather midweek with other Christians. Be careful. We need a weekly rhythm, whether Sunday morning and a midweek, where we're able to just be around believers who can pray for us and encourage us. What rhythms do you know? Fighting for your joy is important. It matters that you go from to a party popper again and again. You're looking for it. On top of those things, understand the stage of life you're in and give yourself some grace. There's a myth going around. The myth is that things are about to get less busy. (laughs) The myth is that life won't always be this chaotic. Well, I've spoken to people who don't have children, and they tell me there's going to be a time soon where things won't get busy. I've spoken to people who've got children, and they're telling me there's going to be a time where the kids will be at school. I've spoken to people who've got kids at school, and they'll say there's going to be a time when the kids leave home. I've spoken to people who have retired and said, how did I ever make time for work? Things are so busy. It's what we do. We fill our lives with stuff. Understand the stage you're in and order your life accordingly. Finally, number five, gather fuel for the winter. Become foragers. Life, the human life and the planetary life operates in cycles. No matter how much you fight, there will be seasons of winter where you feel like there's nothing's catching, there's no fuel, there's no spark, there's no joy. You've just got the party popper, the party hooter type life. You think no matter how much, in those seasons it's important, but we've become foragers who've stored things away to help in the winter 
start a fire and relight our boilers in the Christian life. I have a, a folder in my email account just called Faith Encouragements. And if ever I get an email from someone that's encouraging, it goes in there. If ever I discover a resource that's good for me, maybe a video that helps, the link to it goes in this folder. If I get an answer to prayer, I'll write it down, put it in this folder. So that when I'm feeling low, I can go to the place where I've foraged some joy fuel and look at it. There will be things like that for you. I don't know if you've seen the Lifehouse skit. I remember a few years ago, this was a big a, a drama, a presentation to song of the Christian gospel. And I watched that video. I can't help but have my boilers lit. I'm like, yes, that, I love being a Christian. There are songs that I listen to in the car or on particular albums. I know I'll go to them if I need a pick-me-up. There are Bible verses that I've got you know, tattooed on my walls at home and think, just read that, reflect on that. Books that I've read. I don't know what it is for you. Recording answers to prayer is important for that reason. Often people say to me, God never answers my prayers. To which the reply is, do you ever record it when he does? Because if you went back and looked, I'm sure you'd see he does. And he did. I go, I go back through my journals from when I was a teen. I used to journal a lot. And um, on, on one day it would say, God's alive. God's real. I love God. He's changed my life. And the next day, I'd read it and say, there's no God. I don't believe this nonsense. What am I doing here? Head for the hills. So reading stuff helps fuel your joy. I don't know what it is for you. So those are five ways that you can fuel your joy in God. Find out what makes you happy in God. Make a habit out of it. Spend time with people who fuel your joy. Know yourself and gather fuel for the winter. See, some days, all you can muster is that. But with the right fuel, we can turn our lives again. Into, we can be reminded, reminded again of the celebration that is the Christian life. Someone once said to me that the Christian life is 90% drill, 10% thrill. Rubbish. It's all thrill. Even the drill is thrilling if you do it for him. Depends what fuel you're putting in. So that's the first one. Learn to fight. Learn to fight for your joy. Secondly, for joy's sake, learn to read the world around you. You don't have to read books necessarily, although I would suggest you do. But learn to read the world around us. Creation is communication. In Psalm 19, it says this. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. There is neither speech whose words are not heard. It went before I got it. Heavens declare the glory of God. In the book of Romans, Paul says that God's attributes are clearly seen in the world around us. You can learn things about God. Jesus pointed to creation often to tell us things about God. He spoke about plants, about birds, about bread, about seeds, about sheep, about pearls, about pigs, about hens, about foxes. Jesus was familiar with reading the world and allowing it to fuel his life in God. The hills are alive with communication about God, less catchy. But the hills are alive with communication about God. They speak to us about him. And creation teaches us things that you could never learn just through reading books. Any patch of sunlight in a wood shows you something about the sun which you could never get from a book on astronomy. Or as Mark Twain once put it, a man who carries a cat by the tail learns something he can learn in no other way. There's a muscle memory. There's a visual stimulus. We are Holistic, rounded creatures. 
with sights and smells and sounds that help us. And we must learn to read what the world says. You know, once you've learnt to read words on a page, you can no longer distinguish the image of the ink and the meaning in your mind. You can't separate them out. They come to you at the same time. At the same time, in the same way, if, I, if you're to hear a sound off in the distance, your brain doesn't just hear the sound. It instantly interprets it for you and tells you what it is. You can't separate them out. We need to be those who learn to read the world like that. So you can't see the trees without it speaking to you about righteousness. You can't see the hills without it speaking to you about God's size and majesty and strength, perhaps. As one writer put it, commenting on Psalm 1, he said that trees are audiovisual aids to help us understand righteousness. Learning to read means that you get the sign and the signifier at the same time. So C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia stories, here's a wonderful piece on this. He describes standing in a tool shed one day and seeing a, a shaft of sunlight coming through the door. And he said, I could see the light and the particles of dust in the light. I was observing the beam. I was not seeing by the beam. See, your brain's immediately interpreted what that is. Not just noise, it's a drill <laughs> at an appropriate time. <laughs> and then he says this. I was seeing the beam, not things by it. Then I moved so that the beam fell on my eyes. Instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed and above all, no beam. Instead, I saw, framed in the irregular cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside. And beyond that, 90 million miles away, the sun. Looking along the beam and looking at the beam were very different experiences. You can look at creation or you can look along it to the creator and see what it teaches you. You can look at something or you can look through it. You can stare at your windshield or you can look through it and see where you're going. We need to be those who learn to see through creation. When you're walking on the downs, a cool breeze on a hot summer's day ought to remind you and speak to you of God's grace refreshing you. Or the waves, persistent and strong against the shoreline, remind us of God's persistent faithfulness. For me, whenever I'm out walking and I hear this sound... <laughs> This one, can you hear it? That was well-timed, wasn't it? <laughs> Here we go. Let's play that again. Not the drill. Here we go. You know, the, the sound of a skylark on the hills, it reminds me and speaks to me very clearly of God's love for me. Years ago, I was out on the hills and heard that sound, just felt God through that sound say to me, that sound's always up there, but you never notice it, particularly when you're out walking. So my love for you is always spoken over you, but you rarely hear it. It's the soundtrack of your life. What soundtracks are there for your life? I was out with Zach. Um, sounds like I do a lot of walking, but I was out with Zach um, uh, last week. And I wanted to teach him about the world. Um, not just the, the natural world, but what it means as well. And so I, I said, Zach, the hills, they tell us that God is big and strong. And, and the flowers, they tell us that God is you know, creative and beautiful and loves beauty. And I was, you know, impressing myself, thinking, this is good. I'm teaching him some valuable things. And then he said, Dada, a dinosaur's dead. You know, son, I'm not talking about dinosaurs, as kids often do. Dada, have you got new shoes? Yes, yes, but about the hills, son. Anyway, my point is, I don't want my son to learn only to read books. I want to teach him to learn to read the world. And in fact, 
there was a particular style that I was walking over with him. And, and sometime after that, I was on my own, just walking. And I just said to God, I'm, it reminded me of walking and being with my son. And I said to him, I love going on walks with my boys. I'm so grateful. And as soon as I said it, this voice in my heart said to me, and that's how I feel when you come walking with me as well. It was the world, the experiences speaking to me, teaching me about God. It was Shakespeare who said, This our life finds tongues in trees, books in running brooks, sermons in stones, and good in everything. I want to read you some examples of what it looks like to read your lives from a book called Things of the Earth, which is an exceptional book. And he records some moments in his life and the things that God's used, God spoke to him about in, this, in those experiences. This is what he says. I have a memory. An early morning in 1993, an 11-year-old me rolls over in bed as the sun peeks through the blinds. Blah, school day. I feel a hand on my back. It rubs for a moment and then gently scratches. I lift my shoulders, prodding the fingers for a little more. It's a familiar routine and the fingers don't fail. The back rub turns into a pat. Time to get up, buddy. I roll over. My dad sits on the end of my bed, dressed in a button-down shirt and dark trousers. He's been up for a while. He's showered and shaved and ready for work. I can smell his aftershave. I stumble bleary-eyed into the kitchen. The cereal, milk, and bowl are on the counter. My lunch is packed. Turkey and mustard on daily bread. Grapes and crisps. My dad knows what I like. He picks up his briefcase, kisses me on the forehead, and heads out the door. A lesson in hope. There is something worth getting out of bed for. There is a hope for the future. Fast forward 15 years. Home for Christmas. I've always loved the holidays. My dad slowly walks out of his room, shuffling his feet. His hair is disheveled, his beard unshaven. He's wearing an old T-shirt and pyjama bottoms. It's 1.30 in the afternoon. He pauses and looks around with apprehension and a tinge of panic in his eyes. The look on his face unnerves me for a moment. I hate dementia. Here, Dad, come sit on the couch. I'll get you something to drink. Even to your old age, I am he. And to grey hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save, says the Lord in Isaiah 46. Oh Lord, please do. One more jump. This time, two years forward. Christmas time again. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. He sits, if you can call it that, in a special chair. It's been months since he's walked. He weighs about 100 pounds, skin and bones, but his skin still looks good. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. My mum sits next to him, holding his ever-shaking hands. Damn Parkinson's. He breathes in a low wheeze. It sounds awful, but the nurses say it's normal. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Those hands, they held me when I was young. They rubbed my back during church services. They taught me how to throw and hit. Keep your eye on the ball, he'd say. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. I watch my mum as she searches his face lovingly looking for recognition for something beyond the vacant stairs. She's walked with him through every bit of the slow death, through diagnoses and experimental treatments and cautious optimism and crushing loss at a sudden turn for the worse. This is not how she envisioned her golden years. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Billy, Billy, hey, sweetie. She catches his eye, a flash of something and a smile plays at his lips. 
The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Hey there, he says, and a chuckle rises up from his throat. We all smile and laugh with him, his eyes darting from person to person. She leans in to give him a kiss and he puckers. Not everything in the old mind is lost. She leans back. He stays puckered. We laugh and she kisses him again, still holding his trembling hand. Covenants run deep. The Apostle Paul said, till death do us part. This mystery is profound. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The noise of the ordinary and the everyday document for us. God's character, God's faithfulness. Coffee that revitalizes us, reminds us of our need for God. The shower that refreshes us, speaks to us of God's love washing over us. The food that we constantly need humbles us and teaches us that we are mere humans, weak and frail and made of dust. They all act as climbing crampons towards joy in God on a rainy day, on a difficult day. We need to learn to fight, but we need to learn also to read the world. You see, a party popper might be good, might be a good starting point. Hooters are acceptable if that's all we've got. But the soundtrack that's all around us is even better. The noises of the everyday life, when you learn to read them, they're regular, they're consistent. And I can see some of you are thinking, is he about to let that off? And who's going to have to tidy it up? Desert Island Discs is that popular radio show where people go on and they talk about the, the songs that have um, been there throughout their lives that form like a soundtrack. Well, This is your soundtrack, the people around you, the place you live, the kids that you are raising, the friends that you have, the loneliness that you sometimes feel, the creation around you. It's the soundtrack that God has given you. Learn to listen to it. Learn to read it. Learn to allow it to fuel your joy in God. And that is the final sound of joy. It's the sound of a celebration, a joyful heart that can read all that God's doing in the world. So we need to be those who learn to fight for our joy. We need to be those who learn to read regularly for our joy. And for joy's sake, finally, we need to receive regularly. You see, often, often in the Bible when it talks about the kingdom of God coming and joy coming, the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the same breath. When we read it in Romans 14, it said, righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, when the kingdom comes, people are healed, there is joy, and people were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit that God has given us, He's here to lift your head. He's here to fuel your joy, to enable you. When you've done all the fighting you can and all the reading you can, we have a helper who's strong and able and endures. And He's the one that's like the confetti cannon. He's the one that turns up the notch or the dial or turns up the heat that enables us to experience the goodness and love and joy and grace of God afresh. And so we're going to spend some time now receiving a fresh filling 
from the Holy Spirit because we need him. It's not to say we mustn't fight. It's not to say we mustn't read. It's to say that it's all of it. Again, you're not just a, a mono kind of individual. You're holistic. You're rounded. You have, you're multi-sensory in that sense. And God, the Holy Spirit, knows how to fuel your joy. So I'm going to ask you to stand and I'll pray and lead us in a time of waiting on the Holy Spirit, asking him to fill us with joy. We've got time. We've deliberately allowed time at the end of this morning so that we can just ask God to meet us in power afresh. Some of you are feeling full of the Holy Spirit already. This is great. We're going to need you to pray for those around you. Some of you are feeling dry as ditch water or as dust. That's great as well because the Holy Spirit is here to fuel your joy. Some of you have never experienced uh, what we call a baptism in the Holy Spirit. You don't know what it feels like to have been plunged or immersed into God's joy. And we want to pray for you today to experience that. Because this is what God has for us. He's given us his helper to help us. I'm going to pray and then we'll see where the Holy Spirit wants to go and what he wants to do. So Holy Spirit, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would come and fall afresh on your people. Oh, come and fill us with the kingdom of heaven. Come and let us taste the joy of the, of the man who found the pearl in the field, or found the treasure. Come and help us to feel the joy that came to the city when the kingdom of God came. Help us to feel the joy of Sundar Singh, that Indian man who encountered your love. Come and remind us again of your love for us. Holy Spirit, you're in charge. Whatever you want to do is fine by us. Come and fill us afresh.